0: Welcome to the Pastor's
1: Study. Let me ask you this question. When is the last time you spent one hour alone with God? And for some of you, the question is, have you ever spent one hour alone with God? And my thought is this. If we can easily spend two or three hours in front of the TV set, I want to challenge you this week, maybe you've never done this, but maybe it's been a long time, get alone and spend one hour alone with God. During that hour, you can pray, you can read the Bible, but we're in the third and final section of the longest prayer that Jesus ever prayed in the Bible. Get your Bible out if you would, it's John chapter 17. He prays it the night before he's crucified. It's called his his high priestly prayer because he's interceding with the God the Father for this church in the future. So let us continue in this, John chapter 17, before we go, let's pray. Father, we do want to pray that many, many people seeing this show, maybe they never pray, that somehow they'll start talking to the God who gives them breath. Lord, speak to us now, open our ears, our hearts, and Lord, teach us now how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus is praying and he says, As you, God the Father, sent me, Jesus, into the world, I have also sent them, the disciples, into the world. First lesson today. Every Christian is sent into the world. The word apostle is from the Greek word apostolo, to send. An apostle is a sent one. And mainly, uh, immediately anyway, this verse is talking about the disciples being sent, the apostles being sent. Secondarily, every Christian is sent. So the first lesson is every Christian is sent into the world. When you leave uh, your house tomorrow, don't just think of yourself as going to work or going to school or going to the dentist. Think of yourself as being sent to work, sent to school, sent to the dentist with a mission to bring people to Christ. I had to go to the dentist. So I prayed before I went to the dentist. Lord, save the people in that dentist office and if it's your will, use me to share the gospel. So the hygienist is cleaning my teeth. And when she gets done, we wait and wait and wait for the dentist to come in. So I uh, she tells me that she was raised Catholic, now she's going to a Lutheran church, and I'm just about to tell her, well, the main thing is not what church you belong to, but do you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? And right before I could get it out, the dentist came in. <laughs> well, at least I tried. My point is, when you leave the house in the morning for, for wherever you go, say a prayer, God, may I be sent to the dentist office. Use me to share you somewhere today with someone. Every Christian is sent. Look at verse 19. For their sakes, the disciples' sakes, I, says Jesus, sanctify myself. That means I set myself apart. I make myself holy or different. I sanctify myself that they, the disciples, may also be sanctified in truth. Here's the next lesson. Jesus' death makes us holy. What he's saying here is God, tomorrow I'm gonna set myself apart on the cross to make the world holy Jesus death is what makes us holy this is an important point because most people think the way you get saved is by making yourself holy and if I try real hard enough I'm a good enough person then I'll go to heaven no 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 you're not a good enough person you never will be you're a sinner like me who deserves hell it's only Christ's death that will make you holy I mean if I'm going to do a baptism I talk to the parents first and I say let me explain what baptism is this finger represents you and me and let's say this hand is God on Judgment Day, we come and we stand before God on Judgment Day. If God sees sin on us, we go to hell, because God cannot endure sin. So what God does, and now this hand is Jesus, it says in the Bible, as many of you as were baptized in Christ have been clothed with Christ. And it's like God puts Jesus' righteousness around me so God doesn't see my sin anymore. He sees Christ's 33 years of perfect righteousness, so I go to heaven. This is what Martin Luther meant when he said we're saved by alien righteousness. Get this. I'm not saved by my righteousness. I'm saved by somebody else's righteousness, Christ's righteousness. I have been clothed in Christ's righteousness in baptism so that God now will save me because I have the perfect righteousness of Christ all over me. In other words, what saves me is not me. We are sanctified or made holy by the death of Christ. I had a, a woman I get, got into a disagreement with, and here's what she said was, if people never hear about Jesus, they can still be saved as long as they live up to the law that God wrote on their heart that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2. So they can be saved if they live up to that law. My response is, yeah, but nobody does. You're right. Romans chapter 2 says God wrote his law on our hearts. Even atheists know that killing and stealing is wrong. But nobody lives up to that law. We all break that law, which is why Paul has to bring Jesus in in Romans chapter 3 to save us from the way we rebelled in Romans chapter 2 against the law of God in our heart. In other words, what saves me is not God's law. That's what damns me. What saves me is the death of Christ. You know, somebody asked, where does it say in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves? You know what the answer is? That's nowhere in the Bible. (laughs) The Bible's point is, nobody can help themselves. The only way we are saved is by the death of Christ. Verse 20, Jesus says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the 12 disciples, but for those who believe in me through their word. That means all Christians till the end of time. Here's the next lesson. Pray for the future church. Jesus is praying for the church 2,000 years from today when he prayed it on Monday, Thursday night. Do you pray for your church's future? I'll tell you what I thought of. I used to work in a wonderful Bible-believing, evangelical Lutheran church. Just the senior pastor really preached the gospel, Bible studies. It was just a great church. And the senior pastor died. And then the next senior pastor they got was kind of more liberal. And then he moved on. And today, the church, I would send no one to that church because of how biblical, unbiblical, they have become. Pray for the future of your church that whatever church you go to, Lord, may we never go astray. Look at verse 21. Here's Jesus' prayer that they, the church, may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me." Here's the next lesson. Christian unity helps the world believe. I mean, let's say your next-door neighbor sees you and your wife going to church every Sunday, but then every night he hears you screaming at each other through the window. He's going to start wondering, is there anything to this Christianity? you know, I get, I get lots, a fair number of emails and letters and stuff from people that see the show. And most people are very polite. We have to agree to disagree on some of these things. But now and then I'll get a letter so bitter you want to open it with asbestos gloves. And I don't know what's happening in your church, but if you have to disagree with people, do it in love because it's Christian love and unity that's going to bring the world to Christ. Verse 22. The glory which you have given me, Jesus says to God the Father, I have given to them, the disciples, so that we, they, the disciples, may be one, just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, get this, even as you have loved me. That's kind of an amazing verse. Here's the next lesson. God loves us as, just as, he loves Jesus. Kind of amazing. D.L. Moody was a great preacher in the late 1800s, and he said three quotes about the love of God. Would you listen to these three quotes carefully? Number one, If I could only make men understand the real meaning of the words of John the Apostle, God is love. If you can convince a man that you love him, you have won his heart. If we could make people believe that God loves them, how we would find them crowding into the kingdom of heaven. The trouble is that people think God hates them, and so they continually turn their backs on him. Quote number two, There was a time when I used to think more of the love of Jesus than of God the Father. I used to think God the Father was a stern judge on the throne from whose wrath Jesus Christ had saved me. It seems to me now I could not have had a falser idea of God than that. Since I have become a father, I have made this discovery, that it takes more love and self-sacrifice for the father to give up the son than it does for the son to die. Is a father on earth a true father that would not rather suffer than to see his child suffer? Do you think that it did not, it did not cost God something to redeem this world? It cost God the most precious, precious possession he ever had. When God gave his son, he gave all And yet he gave him freely for you and me. And the third quote. Many of us think we know something of God's love, but centuries hence we shall admit we have never found out much about it. Columbus discovered America, but what did he know about its great lakes, rivers, forests, and the Mississippi Valley? He died without knowing much about what he had discovered. So many of us have discovered something of the love of God, but there are heights, depths, and lengths of it we do not know. And John chapter 17 says, God the Father loves us as he loves Jesus. That's kind of amazing. (laughs) Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, the disciples whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. Here's the next lesson. Here's the definition of heaven heaven is beholding the glory of Jesus. That's how Jesus defines heaven here. Somebody asks you, what's heaven like? Your answer is, heaven is beholding the glory of Jesus. You know, now and then somebody will say, oh pastor, I don't mind dying because I can't wait to get to heaven to see my husband. And I think, no offense, but you don't get it. First of all, you know, you you won't be married in heaven. Jesus said there is no marriage in heaven. But the big deal of heaven is not seeing your husband. The big deal of heaven is seeing the glory of Jesus. That's going to trump everything up there. I mean, I preached once that I don't think you'll see your dog or cat in heaven because they're not, they don't have eternal souls. And boy, did somebody get upset. But, you know, my, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Don't get upset. My point is... When you are beholding the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven, that's going to be so wonderful, powerful, overwhelming, you're not going to care if your dog's up there. The definition of heaven is beholding the glory of Jesus. Here's a Christian who was dying, and his friend's trying to cheer him up and says, Well, Joe, you know, the Bible says the gates of heaven are pearls, and the streets of heaven are paved with gold. And you get your own mansion. And the old Christian dying says, You know, It's not the mansion I want, it's himself that I want. The definition of heaven is beholding the glory of Jesus. That's going to just be the most incredible thing you've ever seen. Verse 24. So that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me, get this, before the foundation of the world. Again, we talked about this last uh, show. This is called the pre-existence of Christ, that before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was in heaven with the Father and the Spirit as the one eternal God, the Son. Jesus is God and eternal with the Father and the Spirit. One God, three persons. Verse 25. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these disciples have known that you sent me. Here's the next lesson. Jesus says the world does not know God. Now, I was interviewing a Catholic priest for a program, and he said that the world doesn't know Christians the God the way Christians do. We know God in His fullness, but the world does know God, and so to the degree to which they follow God they will be saved. And I said, no, I disagree. Yes, Romans 1 teaches everybody knows there's a God because of nature. And Romans 2 teaches that God has written His law on all of our hearts, so we know there's a God from right and wrong that's on our hearts. But the point is, nobody keeps Romans chapter 1. We all turn to God golden calves. Nobody keeps the law of God written on our heart, Romans chapter 2, because we break the law of God on our heart. So number three, God, Paul the Apostle brings in Jesus in Romans 3 to save us from the way we broke the commandments in chapters 1 and 2 of Romans. I don't think Jesus, Jesus is saying the world does not know you. I don't think he means the world doesn't know that there is a God. We know there's a God. The, th- the problem is we don't like him. We want to run our lives, and God, get out of here. So, again, which is why we need Christ in chapter 3 of Romans. Verse 26, And I have made your name known to them, the disciples, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. And then Jesus, uh, Judas comes, and Jesus is arrested. Here's the last lesson. Prayer doesn't necessarily spare us from suffering, but gets us through suffering. Let me repeat that. When you pray for God to take away some suffering, he might not do it, but he will get you through it. I'm thinking of Jesus here. This is Thursday night, the night before he dies on the cross. He's praying to God. Did God take away the suffering of Friday morning? When he's nailed to the cross, no, but God got him through it. And I can think of a dear woman that I knew, a wonderful Christian woman, had a horrible disease, went through lots of pain. Sometimes God took it away, sometimes He didn't. But God doesn't promise to take your suffering away. I think every Christian has a cross. Every Christian has something in your life that you wish wasn't there, but God put it there for a reason. You can pray for God to take your cross away. Jesus prayed, Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, your will be done, and the suffering stayed. And it's good that it stayed, because now we're saved because of Christ's suffering. You have a cross, too. God might not take it away, but he'll get you through it. I close with this quote from William Barclay, a long-dead Bible commentator. Quote, We must never think of our cross as our penalty. Jesus paid our penalty. We must think of our cross as our glory. The harder the task we give a student or a craftsman or a surgeon, the more we honor him. We in effect say that we believe nobody but him could attempt that task at all. So when it is hard to be a Christian, we must regard it as our glory, as our honor given to us by God. So let me just, I want to close by singing an old spiritual here. We've been talking about prayer. And I want to just encourage you one more time. Read John chapter 17 this week and get alone with God and pray John chapter 17 to the Lord in your own words. Just read a couple verses, stop and pray it in your own words. And just try to spend one hour alone with God because we don't need more TV. We don't need more newspapers. We don't need more romance novels. What we need is to get alone with God and be with Jesus. So listen to this old spiritual.
2: In In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have what this world gives, give me Jesus. and when i am alone and when i am alone and when i am alone give me jesus give me jesus Give me Jesus. You can have what this world gives. Give me Jesus. When I draw my final breath, when my eyelids close in death, when I draw my final breath give me, Jesus. give me Jesus give me Jesus give me Jesus you can have what this world gives I want the one who lives, give me nothing but give me this, give me Jesus.
3: Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us not only his knowledge of scripture, but his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you said that Jesus' death makes us holy. If that's true, why do we still sin? Yeah.
1: Well, Jackie, there's something called the imputed righteousness of Christ and then the imparted righteousness of Christ. The imputed righteousness of Christ is what saves us. Uh, Paul writes in uh, Corinthians, God made him, Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, meaning Jesus on the cross took all my sin, but then he gave me all of his righteousness. So, and so God, when God looks at Jackie or Tom or any believer, he doesn't see the sinner that we are. He sees 33 years of perfect obedience that Jesus lived when he was on earth because we're in Christ, like I said in the sermon. That's the, that's the imputed righteousness of Christ, that his righteousness is imputed to me. The imparted righteousness of Christ is as, as I live my Christian life, he's slowly cleaning me up. Uh, but that's an up and down thing. <laughs> that's not perfect at this side of heaven. So what saves us is the imputed righteousness of Christ, but the imparted righteousness of Christ is a reality. I mean, Jackie, I still sin, but I'm better than I used to be. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Okay, so, that makes sense. Yeah. What
1: exactly is the atonement? Uh huh atonement at onement it means that god and man used to be at odds us in our sin god is holy so we used to be at odds jesus dies on the cross to pay for our sins which reconciles us to god and now we're at one atonement means that jesus puts by his death and resurrection puts god and man at one again
3: you know we've talked about jesus coming back and his return and that i guess i have a question for you do you think the church As it is today will last until the return of Christ? Mm
1: -hmm. I think the true church will because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church so true Christians will be on earth until the second coming of Christ but Jackie I think I preached this last week not everybody in the church is the church I could tell you of Lutheran bishops who are as heretical as they can be, are they truly Christians? Only the Lord knows. Mm-hmm. But but there will be true Christians on earth till the end of time, and there'll be false Christians on earth till the end of time.
3: Okay. So ex- exactly what is a true and a false church?
1: Yeah. A true church is, I, to me, uh, the key is, does this church teach that Jesus is Lord? The earliest creed is not the Apostles' Creed, although that's real early, like 250 AD. It's not the Nicene Creed, which is 325 AD. The earliest creed is three words. It's in the New Testament. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So does this church teach that Jesus is Lord, meaning that he's God? Jehovah's Witnesses don't. Mormons teach that he's God, but there's lots of gods in Mormonism. But the Christian church teaches there's one God, in three persons father son holy spirit jesus is lord he's god and if they di- divert from that they become a cult
3: you know there's been a lot of movies lately about going to heaven and coming back and everything mm-hmm. um pastor Rick, what will heaven be like mm-hmm. scripturally what does it tell yeah. us
1: just a few things uh come to mind uh now I, paul this is from 1st corinthians 13 now i know in part then i shall understand fully so jackie you'll understand why god took your little five-year-old granddaughter if if that happened to you you'll understand why does he allow that tornado to hit my house the the thing i'm how does god reconcile predestination with the fact that he still holds us accountable that's going to be a big one for me but now i know in part then i shall understand fully in heaven we'll have fullness of knowledge in heaven we'll have fullness of character right now we have christian character but it's pretty junked up by my sin and your sin, in heaven will be holy, will be perfect in heaven. There will be no sin in heaven. Somebody asked me, will I be tempted to sin in heaven? I said, no, that's what makes heaven heaven. You won't be sinning up there. So you'll be perfected in knowledge, perfected in character, um, perfected in joy. It's, it's the perfection of, of what we get to a degree now.
3: My little granddaughter asked me if we have to still read our Bible when we get to heaven. <laughs>
1: well, you know what? I, I, a, a worship professor said this to me. You won't have Bible study in heaven because we'll have fullness of knowledge. But he said, the, and you won't have, you know, uh, he, he was talking about the different people at the university. But you know the one thing you will still have in heaven? He was a worship professor. You'll still have worship.
3: <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's a good answer, though. Yeah. You know, I think you kind of touched on this, but I'm not sure if it was fully to the point that I understood it. So, what was Jesus doing before he came to Earth? Mm-hmm. You talked about him yeah. being part of one with right. God. John chapter one
1: verse one: In the beginning was the Word. That's not talking about the Bible as the Word; that's talking about Jesus as the expression of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, and the Word was, world was made through Him. So. God the Father and God the Son made the world together. God the Father made the world through Jesus. And so, uh, again, what you want to maintain is, what was Jesus doing before he was born in Bethlehem? He was eternally God running the universe, but the Father and the Spirit, that's what he was
2: doing.
3: Okay, so that's a hard thing to explain to a child mm-hmm. that Jesus was actually a man, a part of the Godhead, mm-hmm. and then came to heaven, yeah. came well, to earth as right. a little and baby. Y-
1: you want to say that he wasn't man before Bethlehem. It was at Bethlehem, he also became a man.
3: Okay, well, we hope you've enjoyed these last three shows. I've learned a lot from them, and we pray that God would be with you this week granting you his richest blessings, and we ask you check out that website that's on the screen right now, and that'll tell you what's going on with the pastor's study and what we need and
0: what you can do to help us. Have a great day. Thank you for watching the pastor's study.